Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. The day after, everybody's got that glow about them today. You've had uh, your fill of all kinds of things, and uh, but uh, really glad you're here. Uh, my name is Fritz. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse Community. Thanks for joining us. Uh, glad you guys are here with us in the house. And then I do want to give a welcome to our launch team in Fostoria, our online campus. And then everybody's been asking me about the B on my shirt, uh, so it's for Bluffton. So welcome to, uh, if you're in Bluffton community, uh, we're glad you guys are with us as well. If you're catching this later in the week, uh, we hope that one day soon you're going to be able to join us here in the house um, and, and be with us because it's just a whole nother experience when you're gathering with um, other believers uh, here in Lighthouse Community. So we hope we get to see you here uh, one day soon. All right. Um, do you remember the movie Overboard? Okay, not the remake that they just did recently, okay? That was a hack job. Uh, I'm talking about the original with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and all of that. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, uh, here's how that story goes. Uh, You have this woman who falls overboard on her yacht, um, and she uh, wakes up, or she like washes up in this place called Elk Cove, and when she's found, she has amnesia. She doesn't know who she is. She has nothing to identify her, right? She has no clue. So uh, long story short, Kurt Russell's character comes along, and he uh, claims her as his wife, even though she's not. And uh, so then she essentially transitions from this identity of um, this wealthy heiress to a mom caring for four rambunctious boys. And she's doing all these things that seem kind of unfamiliar and uncomfortable, and and she doesn't really know how to do all of that, right? But it all started from the place that she did not know who she was, right? That's, That's the starting place of the issue. And so right? If, I think the point for us on that is this, is if you don't know who you are, that if you don't know your true identity, what will happen is you will actually allow other people to convince you to be someone that you're not. And so the question this morning is this, do you know who you are? Like, really, do you know who you are? Well, the Bible begins with a presupposition that maybe you hold or maybe you don't hold. And the presupposition is this, that there are two realms. One is a material realm. Uh, That's where you can, uh, that's a place where you see things, you hear things, you smell things, you touch things, you, right, all of, all of it, You, you, you can taste all of that stuff, right? That's one realm. But then there's another realm, the spiritual realm. And it's in the spiritual realm where, uh, things like angels, and demons, and principalities, and powers exist. And the Bible says that the spiritual realm is just as real as the material realm, and in fact, that the two actually have the capacity to affect each other, okay? So the Bible begins with that presupposition. You might be saying, well, why am I sharing that with you? Well, you should know that there are evil forces that are at work working their hardest to keep you from discovering who you are. 
And so the Bible says that these evil forces will actually try to steal, try to kill, and try to destroy right? anything that they can in any way that they can. And these forces will actually work hard to confuse you about what is truth and what is lies. And sometimes the lie will get so close right to the truth, though it's not, just enough to confuse and distort. And one of the areas that Satan loves to do that in, especially in our day, in our culture, is in the area of identity. If you go back to the beginning, right, Genesis chapter 3, you actually see Satan attacking identity right from the very beginning, right, with Adam and Eve. And so what Satan did is he convinced Eve that God was holding back, and his identity as a good creator was not legitimate. That's not who he really was. And that her true identity was to be just like God, but without him. Okay? You see what he's doing here? He's confusing her and Adam about God's identity, and he's confusing her and Adam about their own identity. And so we see from Genesis 3 that sadly Adam and Eve bought the counterfeit, and they ushered in sin and death into our world. And you have to know that Satan still attacks identity today. That he's working hard to confuse people about their own identities. And so he plants seeds of insecurity by suggesting that your identity is determined by things like the number of zeros that are in your bank account. All right? Uh, Satan will try to confuse you that your identity is found in your freedom and capability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and that's your real identity of freedom. Or that your identity is all wrapped up in your role as a wife or a husband or a business owner or a winner or a healthy person, you know, whatever you get wrapped up in your role is. And he attacks and he attacks at this issue of identity. And when you're not entirely sure who you are anyways, you'll go chasing, right? You'll go chasing. You'll do things you never thought you'll do, you would do. You'll say things that kind of just don't seem to fit. They're a little bit out of character. You'll think things that seem foreign because you, right, thoughts, And actions, even feelings, are all wrapped up in this concept of identity. And so the question and how you answer it, who are you, carries enormous weight, right? That's that's the big question behind all of this, right? Who am I? And so the way you answer that question actually gives guidance to the way you answer all of the other questions. Who, Who am I actually precedes questions like, what should I do in this situation? Because what you do is wrapped up in your identity. Uh, It answers the question, what do I really want? How should I spend my time? How should I spend my money? Who should I be inviting to speak into my life? Why do I even exist? All of those questions get answered by the first question, who am I? You see that? Identity is central. It's critical. 
And so, as Josh had mentioned, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, or you can click over on your device. Also, uh, find John chapter 5. We're going to go there at one point um, as well, but Luke 2, Luke 2 is where we're going to start. Um, but we're wrapping up this series today called Unspeakable Joy. Uh, we've been looking at why is the birth of Christ, why is Jesus coming into our world such a source of joy? Why is he the truest source of joy? So uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start right in verse 41. Um, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you can follow along in the version that you have. This is what it says. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers." And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So this is not so much uh, an account about the birth of Jesus, but you can see this is about 12 years after the fact that he enters into our world. But there's uh, some clear truths that I think Luke wanted his readers to see in this passage. And here's the first one, is that Jesus grew up learning as a human, right? Jesus is human. I think that's a really critical point that uh, Luke is making here. Because uh, Luke goes through really clear uh, process of making the point that Jesus was born into this world just like you and I have been born into this world. That Jesus grew up as a boy, he even entered into manhood, he faced the challenges that you and I face, um, right? He dealt with all of that. And so Luke wants you to know from this account that Jesus is a human just like you and just like me, Okay. Now, in our culture, uh, everybody agrees that Jesus was a man. Nobody's fighting about that. What most people have the issue with is, I don't know if he was God, right? That's the question that people are asking and going, I'm just not sure that I'm there. Yes, he was a man. Yes, he was a teacher, et cetera, et cetera. But his claim to be God, I just don't know. Now, what's amazing about that is for hundreds of years after Jesus' resurrection, virtually everyone stressed the point. No one was arguing about the fact that Jesus is God. Right? Nobody's debating that. What they're struggling with is, was he really a man? Was he really human? That was the struggle that everybody had. And that's the point that Luke is making here. He's saying, listen, Jesus was human, He's born like we're born. He's raised like we're raised. He grew like we grew or we grow. He's learning in ways like we learn. And so Jesus is human just like us. 
Now, let me kind of pull back some of the, uh, you know, just some of the curtain and kind of see what's behind uh, this story. Because you have to know that Jesus grew up as a Jew in Jewish culture in Galilee. And so let me let you know, let me let you know a little bit about what was going on in northern rural Israel. So Galilee had a pretty thoughtful system of education for their children. There were three primary stages to it, and I don't have time to get into all three, but I want to talk about the second stage, okay? The second stage was known as Bet Midrash, and this usually started about age 10. And so your first stage of schooling was all about learning how to read the scriptures, and you would focus on learning how to read Torah, right, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so that's what you spent your first five years of learning to do. And then when you're 10 years old, you get to Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash is literally translated house of learning or even house of questions, okay? And in Bet Midrash, it's all centered around learning how to interpret the scriptures that you previously learned how to read. But the way you learned in Bet Midrash is really unique. You learned by asking questions. And some of you guys are going, that's how we learn. <laughs> that is not that unique. What are you talking about? Well, yes, in our, in our culture, we do ask questions, um, but it's very different. See, in our culture, a 10-year-old asks you questions like, um, why is the sky blue? Uh, or how do you spell onomatopoeia? Or where do babies come from? And you go, ask your mother, right? And, uh, and those are the questions. They're asking questions that they simply don't know the answers to. But in Bet Midrash, you actually asked questions to show what you understood. Okay? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, if, if this was like math class, uh, and in our culture, let's say I'm the teacher, and I ask the question, I say, what's two plus two? In our culture, what's the response? Four. Yeah, we're looking for the answer. Do you know the answer? But yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I just did the power. Um, so well, you want to know the answer. Do you know the answer is four? But not in Bet Midrash. That's not how it works. If the rabbi was talking about math and the rabbi asked the question, what's two plus two, the response is not four. What you want to do is you actually want to ask another question that shows, I understand what you're getting at and I know another way to get there. So when the rabbi says, what's two plus two, another student might actually say, what's eight minus four? Okay, They're asked, they say, I know what you're talking about and I know another way to get there. Another student might say, well, what's 32 divided by, is it eight? Yeah, eight, there you go. Some help over here, come on, right? <laughs> What's 32 divided by eight, right? And then you actually might have another student who would say, how many were in the Beatles, <laughs> right? And, and so you're, you, what you're doing is you're asking all of these questions without saying the answer to say, I understand what you're talking about and I know another way to get there. I know another question to ask that will actually lead you to that place. And so you actually reveal the depth of your understanding by asking questions. So I want you to do this. Look at the passage. How old is Jesus in this account? He's 12. Okay. But Midrash starts at what age? 10. Okay. Jesus is 12. Now I want you to look at verse 46. What is Jesus doing with the teachers? He's asking them questions. 
He's asking them questions, and what's the response of the teachers? They're amazed at his understanding. Right? This is not a 12-year-old asking where babies come from. Right? This is a 12-year-old showing his understanding, his depth of knowledge of Scripture so much that he's amazing the teachers of the law in the temple. Okay? Jesus grew up learning as a human. He knew he was human. Okay? Now, one more piece of context that I think will help this story really come to light. Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? This is the party that uh, every thir- you know, 12-year-old boy looks forward to. When he's 13, he officially becomes a man. Yes, that's right. So what's the lesser known about Jewish culturehood, a culture and growing up is at 13, you become a man. But at age 12, a boy spends this entire next year apprenticing himself to his father. He goes everywhere his father goes. He, goes every, he, says, he sees everything his father uh, does. He watches how his father interacts with people. He's always in the presence of his father because he's learning the family trade starting at age 12, right? All the way up into manhood, which is at age 13, okay? Now, I want you to look at the passage again. How old is Jesus? He's 12, Look at verse 49. Mary asks the question, what are you doing here? And Jesus' response, a question. (laughs) Because he's in Bet Midrash, right? You answer a question with a question to show the understanding, right? And his question is this, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This is my time to begin apprenticing, This is my time to be where the Father is and to learn from him and to walk with him. And so where where else would I be? I I spend my time with the Father, right? This is actually the second critical truth that I think Luke is exposing for you and I out of this passage. The first one is that Jesus knew he was human, okay? He knew he was human. But the second that truth that Luke wanted his readers to see is this, is that Jesus knew he was God. Jesus knew he was God. Even at the age of 12, Jesus had a firm grip on his identity. And his identity led his thoughts, his identity led his behavior, his identity led his actions, gave him purpose, right? Jesus knew that he was God, Now, some of you might be asking the question, how did you make the jump (laughs) that he was in the temple and he had to be in his father's house to the idea that he knew he was God? Well, here's how. You and I, we refer, or we've heard, God referred to his father as long as any of us could ever remember. That's very common language for you and I today. But before this time, before Jesus' time, and even in Jesus' day, to refer to God as Father was very, very uncommon. Actually, you really didn't. You don't see it happening at all. And there's a reason for that, because there's a very specific connotation that came with that, and that whole culture knew it and understood it. Okay, this is where we're going to look at John chapter 5. So if you're ready, flip over there, go to John 5, verse 17. Okay, let's do this. Let's actually read these passages out loud together, starting with, but Jesus replied. Are you ready? Go. 
But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So pause. So here you have Jesus referring to the father as father, right? To God as my father. And he's got himself in here, right? The father's always working. I'm always working. Now look at verse 18. Are you ready? Go. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mom, you know who I am. You were there when Gabriel came. You were there when the shepherd showed up. You know all of this. I know who I am. You know who I am. I'm this unique person who is fully human and fully God. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his unique identity as both human and God. And because Jesus knew his identity, Jesus also knew his purpose. He knew his true purpose in this world. You see, Jesus' identity fueled his thinking. Jesus' identity shaped his decision-making. It's, it's one of the reasons that at 12 years old, Jesus is drawn to the temple. By the way, the temple is the physical representation of God's presence on earth. Did you know that? That's, that's how everybody understood the temple. This is God's physical representation on earth. And so Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, is drawn to the Father's house. He's drawn there because he knows who he is, right? Uh, it's why he spent time talking about Scripture with the teachers, right? And it's also why he obeyed his earthly parents. You see that happen here in this account, okay? Luke goes out of his way to make the point that Jesus was submissive to his parents. Now remember, Jesus is God. <laughs> and so Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. He's God, right? And so he's the, he is all authority, all power, all knowledge, right? King of kings, all of those things. He could have done whatever he wanted. He's fully God. And he's fully human too. He's both. He's both. And so in this, and he's 12 years old. And so in this moment, Jesus faces the tension. Do I obey God's authority? Or do I obey human authority? Right? What I love about this is Luke exposes that Jesus did both at the exact same time. He did both. You see, Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus knew that one of the best ways that he could, as a 12-year-old boy, one of the best ways that he could honor God was actually to honor his parents, right? And Luke makes a point that he goes back home to Nazareth with them, and he's submissive to them, because that is how he can honor God the best in this moment, right? And, and he didn't do it begrudgingly, and he didn't do it with like, Tweener attitude, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know if tweening was a thing uh, in Jesus' day, but, uh, right, that's not what's going on here. You know, I can't imagine Jesus like, fine, mom, right? And then like stomping all the way back to Nazareth. Uh, I just, I don't see that happening here. Um, how do I know that? Because right after that, what Luke says is he says, Jesus grew 
He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. By the way, he also grew in favor with, with God and with man. What I love about that is, is when you know who you are, when you know who you are, you don't have to prove yourself to anyone else. When you know who you are, you don't have to prove yourself to anyone else. You don't have to flex. You don't have to convince. You are just who you are because you know who you are. You just keep being you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus knew his unique identity as 100% God and 100% man, and that shaped everything else that he did. It stems from his identity. Do you see how critical identity is? By the way, uh, later on in Matthew chapter 4, when you see Jesus uh, being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, what does Satan go after? His identity. His identity. Because if I can get you to question your identity, you'll make decisions, you'll have feelings, you'll have behaviors, you'll have thoughts that are out of alignment with who you are. Identity is so critical. It's central. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Now, if you ask our culture this question, this is what you'll hear. Hey, listen, man, identity is fluid. I like identity, so it's always ever-changing, it's always evolving, it's, right, like, you are who you are in that moment, and so if you're going to discover yourself, what you actually need to do is you need to look within, Look within to discover who you really are, because it's not really about finding yourself, it's actually about creating your identity. That's the counsel that our culture gives today. Now, there's a deep flaw with this logic and this guidance, because for identity to matter, for identity to last, it actually has to be built on a stable foundation, it has to be placed on that which it has, like a solid foundation, a bedrock of something unchanging. Because if it's built on sand, right, it collapses. If your identity is built on fluidity, it collapses from underneath. And the other thing is a created thing cannot determine its own purpose. If you're created, you were created by someone else who has already identified your purpose, who's already given you an identity. And so that already exists. And so there's a lot of flaw uh, in this logic. And thankfully, thankfully, the scriptures tell us, the Bible tells us who we were created to be. That's what's so helpful about what we have in our hands and in our phones and all around us, is the Bible tells us who we're created to be. And so the Bible says things like this, that we were made to be forgiving, we were designed to love at all times. We were designed to be patient and long-suffering, willing to wait even for the things that our hearts deeply long for. We were created to be kind, finding ways to serve each other. That part of our identity is joy is the bedrock of our character. We were made to be gentle with one another, overlooking offenses and sharing the most tender care towards one another, never giving up with a faith that's unwavering. We were designed to trust God all the way to the end, no matter the suffering and the difficult circumstances that we will face in the here and now. The Bible says that we were marked with self-control, never overindulging, never manipulating others for personal gain, or for pleasure. 
that's who the Bible says we're designed, we're created to be, right? That's supposed to be our identity. So go, right? Go, go and be that person. Step into your identity that the scripture says you and I were created to be. Now, the typical sermon ends right there, right? And we all walk away trying to figure out how to do that. And what does that look like? And how do we make that happen? But if you take just a moment to identify what we're talking about here and what all that entails and what all that it requires, if you will take a moment to think about that, you'll actually walk away defeated. You'll walk away overwhelmed. You'll walk away burdened going, how do you, how do you pull this thing off? And by the way, if you do think about it and go, I think I can do that, you're, you have too high a view of yourself. <laughs> or you weren't listening. <laughs> one, one of those two things, right? Because we, we're not the person that the Bible calls us up to be. We hold grudges, right? Our patience runs out in the grocery store. When there's like two people in front of you in the checkout line. Come on, Walmart. <laughs> I go shopping too, okay? Uh, right? It's like you, you can't discipline yourself into being this kind of person. You can't muster up enough optimism. You and I are not capable of being this person in and of ourselves. But there is someone who is. There is someone who is the definition of love. There is someone who for the joy set in front of him endured the most remarkable suffering. There's someone who overwhelms chaos with peace. There's someone who has enduring patience because he doesn't want anyone to perish. There's someone who is kind, serving the least of these and the poorest of the poor. There's someone who is the only truest depiction of good. And it's Jesus. This is Jesus. And even at 12 years old, Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. And so for the believer, Jesus is our bedrock. Jesus is our unmoving foundation. In fact, until Jesus is your identity, you actually never really know who you are. It's fluid. It's moving. It's floating. It's, un, right, it's unsettled. In fact, all over the New Testament, believers are always referred to as being in Christ. Right? Read through the New Testament. You'll see that phrase again and again and again. We're in Christ. Together we're in Christ. You are in Christ. You're made in Christ. You're whole in Christ. Everything's in Christ. And so you have to know that your identity, my identity, is in Christ. It's in him. Christ is who we were always meant to be. And when you discover him, you actually end up discovering your identity. When you learn who he is, you learn who you are. So the natural practical question that comes out of that, if my identity is in Christ, then how do I grow in my identity in Christ? Well, very quickly, this is what it looks like, okay? You're going to say, Fritz, you say this all the time, and I hope you'll see why I say this all the time. Here's how you grow in your identity in Christ. You have to discover God's character from the Bible, all right? 
you, that's the starting place, right? Because a key piece, you have to see this, a key piece of our identity is that we are image bearers of God. We are, his image is, he gave us his image. We are actually created to be reflectors of his image and of his glory. That's actually the reason why you can't find your identity from within. Because of the source of your identity is not here. The source of your identity is God. And you and I are made to reflect him, to be image bearers. And so it's only until you look to God that you discover your identity. Do you see? That's why you can't look within. It's not there. It doesn't reside naturally within us. We reflect who God is. And so the best way to know who God is is to read the Bible. And as you're reading, every, even this morning as I was reading through John 11, one of the first questions I asked while I was reading and after I was done reading is, what does this tell me about who God is? What do I discover about the character of Jesus from John chapter 11? And I had a wonderful time going through all of that this morning. It was great. As you discover God's identity, you discover your own. Now, here's what's really remarkable. Uh, as you see God's character more clearly from the scriptures, and you see your own character, your own cur current character more clearly, something interesting begins to happen light begins to break through, okay? When you actually have those two things together, God's character and our current character, light begins to break in, okay? Here's why. There's a gap. There's a huge gap, right? There is a massive expanse between who God is and who we are today. And that gap is actually designed to draw us to what the Bible refers to as confession and repentance. Do you know that? That gap between who Christ is and who we currently are is designed to draw us to confession and repentance. Now, when we think of confession, we tend to limit that to like the bad things I said, the bad things I did, the evil thoughts that I harbored within that never made its way out. All right, and so we take time confessing those types of things, but confession is actually far more than that. Confession actually begins by identifying all of the differences between Christ and myself. And so that will include all of those things and our failures, but it also means confessing the missed opportunities that God clearly put in front of me. It also means confessing for resisting the good that God asked me to do. It's confessing for staying where it's comfortable instead of getting out of the boat. It's confessing that I want to look like you, and I don't. And I'm sorry. That's confession. Now, most people tend to stop at confession. They confess things. They feel bad. And almost kind of like a, a, a dog who's been whipped, they, they stay away from the master for a while. And then after time, kind of put some gap in between there, we slowly start making our way towards God and say, is it okay to be close to you again, right? Tail tucked between our legs. Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? And then what happens is over time, we get lulled back into sleep. And then the cycle starts over again, and we confess, and we run, and we slowly come back. But that's not how confession is designed, right? Actually, confession is designed to lead us directly into repentance, Confession is designed to lead us directly into repentance. And so repentance is actually this. It's taking a step towards Christ. Confession is identifying the gap, and confession is taking, or excuse me, and then repentance is taking the step towards him. Right? That's what repentance is. And so repentance is asking God to help you say yes when last time you said no. 
Uh, Repentance is asking another believer to pray with you and to pray for you in this area of your life. Repentance is taking a real step closer to God. Not just simply feeling bad, not only feeling remorseful, not only feeling sorrow, but then saying, man, I I don't want to live in this gap anymore. God, I know you're drawing near to me. I'm going to draw near to you, and here's what I'm going to do, because I want to walk with you. That's repentance. And so discovering God's character, confession, and repentance, all of that, right? This is all part of transformation and discovering your identity. And the more you're transformed, the more you'll desire the Father. And then one day, one day you begin to hit this tipping point. You hit this tipping point in your life where his desires have become your desires. And as thoughts and ideas begin to well up within you, you start to wonder, is that God? Or is that me? Is that the Bible? Kind of just, you know, is that this, right? You can't even really begin to tell because the Holy Spirit has been renewing and transforming your mind and your thinking and your desires that it almost becomes natural. That's the identity of Christ, right? That's what it's like to be in Christ, to keep growing in him, to keep developing in him, to keep knowing him more and more. And Christ is our identity. So here's the next step I'd like to invite everybody to step into to help you grow in your identity in Christ. It's actually on your connection card. So if you flip over and look on the back of that, I think Heidi had mentioned it very briefly. Next Sunday is January 2nd. It's the first Sunday of 2022. And so what we're doing is next Sunday, we're launching a journey called 21 Days of Seeking God First. And so what we're doing is starting January 2nd, for those next 21 days, we are going to take time together as a family seeking God first through prayer, through fasting, through scripture, through serving. And so the idea is we're just going to start off our year together, leaning into the Lord, knowing who he is, trusting him, seeking him first. And so I hope you'll join me. I hope you join the whole Lighthouse community family on January 2nd, because what you're going to receive is you're going to receive some training on all of these, because for most of us, fasting is not a very common thing that we engage in. So we're going to walk through that, how to do that, what that looks like. Uh, We'll have a whole resource page that you can leverage through that time. Uh, We've got scripture guides, Bible meditation all of these different types of things you'll be able to use. Um, And let's start 2022 together. Let's seek God first. Let's step into our identity in Christ. I hope it's become clear that identity is core because identity shapes your thoughts, shapes your behaviors, Identity shapes the fruit of your life. And when you know God, it's only then that you truly know who you are. God knows who you are. And so find out from him what he has to say about you. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes We ask this question every week. It's simply this. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I want to invite you to listen.
as you're praying and as you're listening, part of our identity is that we do this thing in community. Right? It's not an isolation. Actually, we, we walk with Christ together as a family and as a body. It's one of the reasons why we always invite you to prayer at the close of a service. And so let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sing one more song. The band's going to lead us in that. And during that song, we're going to have prayer leaders who make their way to the front. There's going to be two in the front of the room. There's going to be two in the back of the room. And they're available to pray with you about any area of your life. And so I want to invite you to lean into that. Right? I don't know what your 2021 has looked like. I don't know how that process has gone. But even if it was the most stellar year you've ever had, you and I need Christ. <laughs> we need God's guidance. We long for God's guidance. And so I want to invite you to pray with a prayer leader this morning. And so when the band starts to play, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And then if you'd like to receive prayer, you're just going to come to the front of the room or to the back corners of the room. We've got people there to pray with you about any area. I want to encourage you, don't pass up this opportunity. It's so, so good. So let me pray for you. And then I want to invite you to come as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.